guys, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me as always... Hey guys, Brian. And we're back for another episode of our first retrospective of Jamie Giselle. Last week, we talked about the guy Madeline on a park bench, his first, um, I guess, feature film, his, dire- his uh, directorial debut. And, you know, we had some things to say about it, but, you know, it was a good conversation overall. It was a good introduction to Giselle. But like I teased last week, this week we'll be talking about his second film, Whiplash, and I think this is the one that really put him in the starlight of he is the, one of the next great directors, and and last week, I'll briefly touch on it again, that, that Whiplash has such a important part of my life up to this point. I know it only came out around four years ago at this point, but it had such a profound impact on me that it's it's one of it's my second favorite film. And if again, I was referencing our first episode or our pilot and episodes in between, where when people ask me, and all movie buffs are gonna have this question, like what's your favorite film? Like that's one of the hardest questions to ask a film fanatic. And I and I always answer that as I I have five top films like th- my top five, and and currently I don't think it's changed much since three years ago when we first recorded. Uh, but I mean those are Dawn of the Dead, Whiplash, um, 2001: A Space Odyssey, Mad Max: Fury Road, and The Sound of Music. Like those are pretty much the same. But I always say that three through four five are interchangeable like if a film comes out it can replace those but dawn of the dead will forever be my favorite film and whiplash is always going to be my second favorite film like those two are constant they will never be replaced and if they do it has to be a pretty amazing film for that to happen but those two are going to stay my top two so that's me brian what is your what about you what does whiplash mean to you i mean i know you've already we've already talked about it but briefly just touch on that once more so like for me whiplash has always been a damn good film but for me it's like i always like criminally underrate it so it's like so what i mean by that was when i watch it i'm like yeah it's a, it's a good movie but then when i actually watch it and like appreciate especially as a musician i'm i, I i'm a re- not a retired but a i played bass trombone since i was uh maybe like a sophomore in high school so about a good eight seven years and as someone who appreciates it from the jazz perspective um it's always something that i always it's i'm always like it's a good movie but then when i watch it again i'm always like, wow this is amazing if from a musician standpoint but also from like a like cinematography from an acting standpoint um it's it's always something that i definitely i always kind of forget how good it is until i watch it and then it's like kind of then I then I then I watch it then I get out of it and then I forget how good it is and then I watch it again you know, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, I think this is the reason. I think originally in our in our list we originally just had Whiplash alone, and then I was like, well, I feel like we can't talk about Whiplash without talking about La La Land, and we can't talk about La La Land without talking about Guy and Madeline and everything in between. So. Like I said, like last week, with First Man coming out, uh, at the time of this recording, um, the tomorrow, technically there are showings as we speak, but I think it was appropriate that we have, we talk about his whole canon as of now, and then do a first impression on First Man when the time comes, but yeah, I, I, 
I think, like, last week we ended uh, Guy and Madeline. You know, on, like, you know, semi-neutral levels of just, like, you know, you had a week, not recommend. I had a week, recommend. But, like you said, the circle jerk is, is gonna come. Yeah, especially it's coming. With, with Whiplash. Like, I have nothing but high praises for this film. And I'm like, I, I, I'm gonna tip my hand right away. Like, I'm gonna recommend this film. Like, this is a near-perfect film. I think it's a 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10. Highly, highly recommend. Um, for those of you that haven't seen it, now, I, we don't really do spoiler reviews that much. Or, or spoiler um, warnings. This is definitely a spoiler warning. Like, if you haven't seen like Whiplash... I feel like every review we do is gonna be a spoiler, though. No, it is. But we never, like, explicitly say that. And I hope, like, the, our listeners know that by now. But just saying, like, this is a film, like, I think if you haven't seen it, don't, like, I think you should go into, you should stop this right now, go watch the film, and then come back and listen to our thoughts and discussion. Because I, I this is a film that I you should go in knowing nothing. So if that if that's you... Please go watch the film from Mike's. I, I already like. I'm already recommending it. Nine out of five, or nine point five out of ten. It's a near perfect film. Go watch it like right now, please. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be talking about this, Brian. Like this is this is like one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast was because of this film. Yeah, no, definitely. Like this this film is awesome. So let's yeah, get so into one, it. So yeah, so yeah, let's get really into it. So, like last week, we had. We broke it down pretty much by the plot, the characters, and themes, and like kind of inter- intermixing the two. So let's start with the plot and what we think. How I think this plot is obviously leagues about like a better than Guy and Madeline. But let's talk about this plot in particular. So we're folk. So our plot focuses on Miles Teller, uh, Andrew uh, Neiman, and his journey of becoming one of the greatest, or quote unquote greatest jazz. Uh, drummers to ever exist and all through his sacrifice and the brutal nature that at all like pretty much the hell that he goes through by his uh his instructor is i was about to say drill instructor because it's almost like that it, it feels like I, oh instead of yeah watching, totally instead of watching um Instead of watching a music drama i feel like i was watching full metal jacket yeah no yeah but full metal jacket definitely film. But so that's that's the plot. So let's get let's get into that. Brian, what did you think of Whiplash on I don't want to say your like just how, your initial viewing of Whiplash, like the first time you sat down and watched it, appreciate it. What were your thoughts on Whiplash? So, it was funny. I remember like like I mentioned in the last with a uh, guy Madeline, I remember we were getting into how I watched this. And I remember we were watching in the den of our house, me, you, mom and dad. And you were like, we have to watch this movie. I think we were like, it was like I was a freshman in college. And so I sat down and I never heard of this film before. And we watched it. And I remember my the most the, my most vivid memory of it is, so it's like the first 20 minutes of the movie. It was right before Neiman gets shat on by um, Fletcher. And then when he's like, when he gets into the, into the band and he's, and he, he hears um, Elmer Fudd, you know, the the fat trombone player, get crapped on, or something like thrown out. Yeah, but then, but then he, it's like, oh, we'll take a break, and then New Fish is gonna be on, and then Fletcher's like, okay, you're gonna be fine. You're here for a reason, blah blah blah. And I remember you paused it or whatever, 
and you were like, guys, what do you think about this movie? Because you knew what was going to happen. And I was like, oh, he's like, he's there for, he's going to be there for uh, Andrew. Like, he's just kind of, he's going to shit on him, but like, he's just ultimately going to be there for him. And then the movie kept going and I was like, oh my God, I'm watching Sergeant Hartman, you know, in Full Metal Jacket, you know, completely rip this guy apart. And that's actually my first memory of this film other than the climactic scene at the end and honestly like yeah like you say this is a near perfect movie at a 9.5 like i i'm more inclined to agree with you that like this is even even someone who's coming and i'm, I'm sure you've seen the the sundance uh the the the, the sundance scene of that scene where oh, fletcher yes, is shitting on the trombone player that it's like verbatim shot by shot the same thing where Chazelle knew at his second feature what he was doing. Oh, he he had a plan. He had no, a plan. No, he he knew and I've read the screenplay too. It's a little different, but even still from As the Sundance plays are. They yeah, vary no, a so, bit. screenplays are more like in parts of the Caribbean, they're more like guidelines, you know. Uh but it, it, you can see that Chazelle knows what he's doing and yeah, even from from seeing that a couple years later, it's just this film is it, it, it's it's quite the enigma. You know, putting it like another like how much this means to me, like I like I said last week, like I've must have seen this film easily at least 50 times. And like, I feel like just saying that doesn't really like help equate it. This film is like just under two hours. So I've watched this film many, many times. It's actually funny. Like, I don't have notes for this film. So, I mean, I have, like, but I've seen this film so many times, I am confident that I can talk about this film without any notes whatsoever. You can reference any scene in this film, any moment, any, like, camera angle, and I'll probably remember it. I am that confident, and for those of you that don't know the the behind-the-scenes of the podcast for me, I literally have to write a script of what I have to say. I don't think I'm very good with on-the-cuff stuff, especially when I'm by myself, so I literally read from a script that I read. But right now, I don't have that script, and I am comp- and I feel okay, because I am so confident in my love for this film that I've seen it so many times that I could talk about this without any notes. So, but, yes, so going in, and, like, this is just, oh, man, I, I, I'm so excited to talk about this film, because I've, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. But what I love about this plot, and, and I'm going to be, we're going to be referencing Guy and Madeline a lot too, because he, like you said, he fixes everything that he got wrong with Guy, and he gets it right into Andrew. It's a more focused story. One of the things I love is that we never deviate from Andrew's perspective. There were, like, supposed to be cut scenes where it's from, um, like, in, um, uh, J.K. Simmons in in his like apartment and him kind of like recognizing that Miles Teller like Andrew is something like the next great he's the next Charlie Parker, but Chazelle figured uh, no we're gonna cut those scenes because it deviates from Andrew's perspective like this is a story all about perspective, uh perspective storytelling and we're not gonna get away from Andrew like it's all about him and I love that it's more focused it knows what it wants to do and it knows the story it's trying to tell with this central theme of of obsession and and the price of obsession and 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 like the plot I think it's 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 pretty straightforward I mean with 
I mean, I guess because it's just it's going through this progression of him of Andrew going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of trying to obtain the ultimate goal of being the greatest, and 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 how he just spirals and loses himself, and then I guess beginning of the third act, it's kind of reversed in that he's kicked out of the conservatory for attacking the teacher or for attacking J.K. Simmons. And then we see him kind of like regaining some of his humanity again, but then he goes back to the jazz and and then we get the amazing climactic, I guess battle. It is a battle because it's he it's it's just these two opposing forces and they're like J.K. Simmons is trying to ruin Miles Teller's um, career, and he almost succeeds, but then Miles Teller comes back and sticks it to him and shows how great he is. And even even if... What's also interesting is, like, I was reading some, like, reviews and the critiques about the ending, is that people were saying, like, obviously this is not a happy ending, but... It's not, go- I agree. They-, they were going even further into saying, like, Andrew, even though he shredded completely, he's not going to get a job in the jazz world because, like, all these big names, one, like, they just saw him, like, do his own thing, and he wasn't, like, you know, he wasn't playing with everyone else. Like, he was he was cocky, and he was going off and shredding. D- despite how talented he was, no one wants, is going to want to work with him. So, like, there's that side, and it's like, yeah, he, like, he won the battle, but not the war. Like, if anything, he, like, lost the war the moment he stepped on the stage. And I think that's, like, an even... Again, this open-ended narrative... Or this open-ended climax is awesome. And I, I, I just love... Like, in this story, it, it's even, it's just so intense. Like, you feel for Nate... You feel for Andrew at every step of the way. And you yourself, reflecting in the cinematography and and the acting and and just the plot and just how like when it picks and chooses to be intense like you feel exhausted by the end of this film just by the energetic nature and like where you are so um so that's so what it, so what it, what's your opinion on the plot the plot i mean of the screenplay as well well so from what i remember of the screenplay uh, it's a little different in terms of, like, how it's set up, obviously. Like, the opening scene is set up differently. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot less dialogue, um, in terms of, like, between the girlfriend and the, and Miles Teller, um, oh god, what's his name in the, in the movie? Andrew. 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 A lot less dialogue between them, like, or a lot more, and there's a lot less in the movie, stuff like that. Like, stuff gets excised out, um... Except, except everything with Fletcher is pretty on the nose. What was written. Um, in terms of the plot, though, it's pretty, it's pretty perfect. You know, it's not. Um, it's it's like complex enough, but not confusing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's straightforward, but it's very rich. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. A lot of a lot of moving cogs in this machine. In terms of like, in terms of like what Andrew's feeling, what. Fletcher, what you could suppose Fletcher is feeling throughout the story, different parts of the story, what the other band members are feeling, yeah, like what the dad is feeling. So you mentioned that being a musician, and I know like you are an international relations major. You are currently in law school, so obviously you didn't go to a conservatory to study music. Well, it was you... well. It's funny because after Whiplash came out, 
my band director for jazz band was bald, but like polar opposite of Fletcher. Guy's name is Dan Green, nicest guy I've ever met in my life. And like, we always did like Not My Tempo, you know? And he'd always like laugh because he saw the movie and he's like, ah, ha, 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 whatever. Like, uh, he was like the polar opposite of that. But like, if anything, is too nice. But um, wait, where, where are we going with that? Well, I was going to say like, well, the, you've been at, I, I've been to a few of your jazz, uh, your, your concerts, but also like the festivals you've been at where like jazz, what were these people's lives? Like they went oh, up and yeah. they, were, they were playing Tower of Power and they, and I remember you guys played that You're Still was a us. Young that Man. That was us. Well, they were, they, like, they played, my you played band You're Still would, a Young Man. My band would play Tower of Power and then they would be like into it and then they would play some like way better, like, cause Tower of Power for all you jazz people out there is like easy jazz <laughs> and then and then the real people play like hardcore like samba and you're like oh my god like yeah they're they're the real deal tower of power is like everyone could recognize it and and that was like my jazz band to get a little too personal we were like the bad news bears we're like we like we we didn't really give a crap about how we were but we were just good because just the raw natural talent but then the then like then like you get to like the the major leagues and then the, those people we, we'd be pretty good and the major leagues would be awesome you know so we'd yeah. play tower of power everyone else would play whoever you know there was a like real deal because i was gonna ask so like what was your like you kind of me mentioned it briefly but like what was your like you know i feel like musicians would have a i would watch this movie with my roommates who some of them were jazz musicians and they were like oh my god like i they're had like we're all having different experiences but musicians especially are having like next i don't want to say next level but they're having different experiences than i'm having so i was a i was gonna ask you i was curious what was your experience coming in as a musician like seeing this film like did you relate to it like you were in middle school jazz band you were in a high school jazz band now i'm not saying like in regards to fletcher but just like as a jazz musician that knows the beats that knows what he's doing like i am a layman i have absolutely no idea what like with the beats that he's doing i have no idea what he's saying like the jazz lingo i'm not understanding what he's saying but like, i can still follow along but like what you as a musician it's funny because like when he's like oh do you like a, a what you're behind you're behind my tempo say like a 16th note or whatever and he starts counting off and i'm like I do that when I'm in jazz or something, and when when they pull up the music for the trombones, at least for the bass clef, for those mu those mu musicians who know what I'm talking about, you know what, like, you can read the music, and it's funny. Um, so, me personally, I've been, I've been blessed with not having any of those Fletcher-like characters as a jazz director, or even a, a symphonic band director. Um, but... You can still kind of feel the anxiety when, like, you don't necessarily know of, like, what you're doing or, like, you're in the moment. You're, at, um, as as most drummers would know, when you're playing in the pocket um, where you kind of just – you have to play or either you fuck it up or you don't. And as a musician, like, I can sympathize with that because I've been there, done that before, but not not nearly to the extreme level that Andrew Neiman has had to perform to. And if anything, listening to like even just like from a trombone perspective, like listening to them Elmer Fudd get like just like crapped on. And I'm like, oh my god! Like 
I don't know by by hearing by by listening to it if I'm flat or not. Like I would put I would inject myself into that character and I'm like, oh my god. Except for me, I would just tell Fletcher to fuck off, and I guess I would be in the well, you know basic bat band. That's what I was gonna know? ask you. Like, would you? Because I remember we were watching this with our dad. He was like, oh, like our dad grew up all over Philly and like not the nicest parts of Philly, and he was a union guy. He was he sailed with some like pretty like hard we've, we've dudes. Me, me and you have met them they are hard dudes and they're let's great put it this guys way. but hard let's put it this way one of the dudes that he grew up with and he's good friends with was on the ship that captain phillips uh the whole captain phillips ordeal and yeah one of the, beat dudes, the shit out of the somali pirates yeah, yeah that was the dudes my dad sailed with and he knew a lot of them and so he was like oh i'll just i just tell F- uh, fletcher to go fuck himself and i'm like well dad like these guys aren't doing that because they understand that he like he, he controls great, their career him. like fletcher in this film is the 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 line before you make it pro so that's the thing me and i'm sure you would have been like fuck you fletcher but when you're at that level he just would have kicked you out and it's like that is the line you get before you make it pro before you become the charlie parker before you become the the guy that the first seat trumpet guy who killed himself in the film you know like that before you make it pro so fletcher is the the border police before you get there so you and fletcher's a bully you know and we'll get to that more at the end but, like, he he does relish that. You know, it's not like Hartman in Full Metal Jacket where, like, there is a method to the madness. With Fletcher, there is a method. But at the same time, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that he enjoys tormenting these people. Oh, yeah, he's definitely, like, a ma- like a masochist or what, – what is it? Like a sadomasochist? Who en- whoever enjoys inflicting pain, that's definitely Fletcher. And Because it, cause he's getting off on this power trip of, like, I control these young – musicians um their careers i think that like i want to find the next like charlie parker is like i think that's i think it's an excuse for him to be a douche i think he like i think he started off that way and then he just got fed up he's like well i'm gonna do whatever i want so um i think that's kind of an excuse but yeah fletcher is just like an asshole but like he's the strongest part he's one of the strongest parts of this film and deservedly he uh, jk simmons won an oscar for this performance yeah no yeah definitely like he he is what he is well without a doubt the strongest performance like miles teller is a good is a good role but it's like in terms of acting it's it's uh, jk simmons who deserved the oscar um you know you know um uh, you know Andrew Andrew's role is like you had to play the drums you had the you know you had to do all these different multifaceted issues with acting but at the end of the day it's Fletcher's it's Fletcher's movie and he is the reason why this this film is huge well Miles Teller definitely was more of like the physical performance like I got like well and that's like the beauty of like or the greatness of like um of Chazelle that He's in his casting is he found like Miles Teller was a drummer. Granted, he was a rock drummer, so but he still had those foundations to drum for the jazz. Like I mean, the jazz drummer is more of a different uh, holding of the sticks and uh, and different way of playing. But you know, he's Teller still had that foundation to do this. And in these scenes, like these more intense scenes, like the whole scene of uh, uh, if what's the um the 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 note he has to play double time swing or something. I don't, and, yeah, something like that. And he says, "I'm not like." And he makes the drummers 
play for like four continuous hours, like just oh back and God. forth. Yeah. He would literally say like um to to make him pat like just from exhaustion, uh, Chazelle would just say play, and then he wouldn't tell cut. He wouldn't yell cut until they literally like stopped from exhaustion. So they would oh. so those like those expressions of just pain and blood like the blood is real I think, and. Just, just pain and exhaustion is from Chazelle not calling cut, and these Damn. actors. That's go like with a it. Kubrick thing. Wow. But it's not to the point of like we're gonna do it a hundred well, times. Well, okay, so you know? no, but if you, so if what you're saying is correct, where he's making them play until they bleed, that's pretty intense. That means I don't know if it's bleed, means, but it's at least like cramp up and, and pass out. But regardless, they're getting even, that. Okay, regardless of the bleeding, where you cramp out and pass out. That's that's like that's that's a nice level thing. I'm not saying you know screw Chazelle, blah blah blah, but I'm well, saying if that's actually what happened, that's that's some pretty method. Like that that's like a Kubrick type thing to do. Well, I was gonna say on the same side, like, oh, you're an actor, like, okay, boohoo, like you're not gonna get much sympathy from me. I mean, other than Kubrick, who would legitimately like you know psychologically torture and abuse his actors, but like this, I don't think that was like a continuous thing. Like we're going to isolate. Is I don't think Chazelle was like we're gonna isolate Miles Teller from everyone, and we're just gonna berate him the entire no, way. No, no, I don't not think Giselle's, that wasn't you know, happening. So that's why I'm like, oh, like oh, you went through a little bit of pain, like. I, that that's not gar- like to get a reaction like that that you're not garnering sympathy for me like you're bit you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this like yeah okay if this isn't life-threatening you're getting a hand cramp from drumming like you're gonna be fine you know what i mean like i'm not getting much sympathy like yeah that sucks in the moment but you know crying myself to bed with a like in a million dollar like in a million dollar bed must be like okay so um but no uh, yeah, and I guess we can get in more to the characters and the cinematography. Well, let's talk about the cinematography of this film. Because this, I think, is Chazelle at his absolute max, as of now. Uh, Guy and Madeline, he's finding his he's finding his groove. La La Land, I think it's... Uh, it's sub- subdued is not the word, but it's more toned down for the musical aspect. Because he's trying to get different tones of, in each film. But this one, I think, is this is his style, and I'm hoping. Well, I think First Man is going to be more innovative with his shots. I think I don't think we're going to get a lot of whip pans and things like that. Well, no, it's definitely from my my understanding, it's more film like a documentary, which is really? interesting. Okay, well, because I see, I haven't seen any trailers for it. It's a lot. Of, well, from my understanding, from the trailers and from what I think he Giselle said. said, it's more of like a they filmed it. Like a like a documentary, like this is Spinal Tap kind of thing. Huh. Mine is, you know, like obviously within the serious aspect of it, like it's still a, you're it's not a documentary, <laughs> it's not a mockumentary, but it's more of like the way it's kind of like a Lars von Trier movie where you're like, I okay. think you're injected into the scene because of the handheld footage, you know. Okay. I, I but I, I think... will figure it out in a few days. But well, I was gonna say my point is that this I think as of now, is Chazelle at his fine... Like, this is the cinematography that he excels at exceptionally well. I don't know. I need to, I need to see a few more films of his, like, either after... First Man, and then a, one more after. Um, but... Because I honestly thought... I mean, this film is filmed spectacularly. It, the cinematography is honestly amazing. Like, and it's not even amazing in the sense that, like... 
that there it's like a 2001 thing where it's like just amazing shots it's more like so consistent you know when you watch this film it's more of a i know what i'm watching i well, think you, i mean if that makes I think sense the cinematography is exceptional in that it's energetic and puts you in the moment like oh yeah my... well like well that, and that's the thing too it's energetic and puts you in the moment but the all the jazz scenes which aren't technically musicals they're filmed like it. They're so energetic. They're so they have a they they have a, a, a like a high, high it's like high octane nature yeah, to it. Literally. Yeah, like, where it's like where there where there's motion with the music, which is as a jazz musician I can appreciate that. But even as just like a film goer, it, it, it's just like it, it it it's so synchronized with the music. And even okay, so it's like some sort of cut will happen with like the brass, and then the drums will hit, or the piano will hit, and then you'll cut back to the brass or whoever, or the wind instruments with the saxophones or whoever. And then when there's no cut, when everyone's playing together, there's a fluid like uh, a, a tracking shot. Yeah, like or, a dolly. Yeah. Yeah, like a dolly or whatever, what have you, or like a, a or, or, a whip your or or whip pan or whatever, like it. it that's the thing that's so that's so amazing about the cinematography is that it's so fluid and it, and it, and, it, and it jives with and it's it, it's filmed in tandem with the music like Damien Chazelle was editing editing this film to the soundtrack which I really appreciate you know which what which all good directors do what Sergio Leone does what Tarantino does every, every like Paul Thomas Anderson what they all do to that they all the good directors sync to the music. Let, let me ask you, Brian. What was your favorite shot of this whole film? Oh God, it's been a it's been a while. Um, probably you want me to... no, no, no. Probably um, in the last one, in the last song, where there's like the drum, just like in Guy and Madeline, where there's like a drum fill with a with um with a Fletcher when he's like kind of directing it. Yeah, it's the whip pan, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah where it's like it's like um it, this is actually done in um La La Land too, where it's like. Uh, Neiman is filling, cut to uh, Fletcher doing directing with his hands, cut back like whip pan back to the fill whip pan whip pan like that. I think that's my favorite. Yeah, I, I, that was on my mind too. I have two from obviously from that segment. The first one, well, I should go because I should go with my second favorite shot. The second, my second favorite shot is the close up of uh, use of close up when. Neiman is, uh, he's just, like, there you go. What? I was going to say the blood in the ice. No, 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 no. That was no. a it's real, the last... no, for me, that was awesome, too. Oh, yeah. But it's, like, the last segment when all you see is a close-up, like, a medium shot of his hands, and they're moving so fast, it's just a blur. And it's, and, I and like, for this segment, like, uh, it was a mix between, uh, Miles Teller doing the drumming, but then actually bringing in, like, a professional drummer to do, like, the really quick stuff, like, you know... Like, the segment of, like, you know, up, starting, like, really downing the tempo and then bringing it up to the, like, bringing up tempo. And then you just get this, like, you get this medium shot of his hands just whizzing, like, so fast. And I, and that, and it's, that's the moment when he's just on the snare, when he's just, like, and then he's just, like, uh, he goes down and then up in the tempo that I would listen to. And then he would just, like, start going, like, just out on all the drums like but that shot of his hands just a blur just because he's drumming so quickly on the snare second favorite shot my set my first my favorite shot of the whole film is the same segment when when fletcher calls the band the finished caravan and then he and then andrew continues and 
and then the lights d dim, and oh, he plays yeah. in the dark, and then the lights come back up, and we're at a completely different angle. I absolutely loved that segment of the whole film. Like, we cut from Andrew keeps playing to Fletcher's reaction in the darkness, cuts back to the darkness, it's dark, and then the lights come back, and we're at a different angle. Like, this, it's like... So genius and so perfect. I absolutely like it. It just puts you in that scene, and you're just like on the edge of your seat, white knuckling your chair. I, I yeah. love it. And, yeah. and and like I said, it it puts you in the scene. It makes you feel exhausted by the end of the film. Like you're there with Andrew, experiencing every single moment, and that's what I absolutely loved. So, uh, I I mean, we I guess we've already oh, let's talk about the characters now. Like I know you were kind of mentioning Andrew. We talked about Fletcher a little bit, how he enjoys the pain. He's an asshole. But let's talk about Andrew. We haven't really talked about Andrew a whole lot, and his characters. And this can be a good segue into the themes as well. So tell me about Andrew, Brian. I I'm sure. Do you, have you known any characters like this, or or people like Andrew, like wanting to be the greatest, or have you? In general, thoughts on Andrew? Uh, in terms of music, no. Um, but in terms of people that I know, no, I have not known people that would take it to this extreme example. Um, I'm trying to think. There's there's that one... So the scene that I think encapsulates Andrew's character for the whole movie, for Andrew and the thesis of the film, is that dinner scene. Yep, I was going to say that as well. It is literally... If you want to know what Andrew's about, what the, what the movie's about, again, watch that five-minute scene. Chazelle, I think, and this is goes applies for La La Land, Chazelle has scenes that are just the thesis of the film that it kind of boils down if you were to just, like, if you were to compress the entire film, it would be these, like, five-minute scenes. Um, and so for Whiplash, it is the dinner scene, or it's probably a ten-minute scene, where it's, like, he explains, we'll like... The scene. Well, 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 essentially the essence is that it's like he has his asshole like cousins and uncle who are it's like, oh, yeah, I go to a D3 football team, but like I act like I'm hot shit and like, oh, I'm doing whatever. It's all about and, like, appearances. Yeah, or Andrew, how's your music? You're doing your drums. Like, that's not a big deal. But Andrew's like, I'd rather be uh, strung out and OD'd at 28 like Hendrix or Charlie Parker than be a 58-year-old mediocre, you know, doing whatever. And, yeah, and that, I think the quote, I think the quote is, I'd rather be broke, like, strung out in debt at 30 and have people sit around the table and talk about me than be, like, live to 80, popular, and accomplish nothing in life. And they're like, well, your friends are going to care. And he's like, well, we didn't know Charlie Parker. That's the point. And it's, like, very poignant and honestly, like, a really interesting quandary to discuss. Yeah, well, it also that scene also I'm writing right now is that it's like it shows how how polar opposite um, his dad is, how Andrew's dad is to him. Where and this goes to the end of the film at the climax, where um, they're saying like to Andrew's dad that the food is overcooked. His dad just kind of takes the insult, and then the dad and the family doesn't care about Andrew's achievements. Being like he is in. He is with the top, like, this is the top tier of, you know, music performance in the country. And, the and no one cares. And the best band And at no the one cares. You know, the dad's food sucks, and the dad just says whatever. 
Andrew sucks. He, he won't amount to anything, but everyone else cares about, oh, you play football for a shitty school, like whatever, you know? So it's like, and that, and that, and that serves to the foil of the end of the film, you know, what everything Andrew is not, is trying not to be. And yet he, he literally rejects his father to go back out and become the person that he's meant to be which is probably really well exactly what he said drunk strung out dead at 30 but people remember him and that's honestly what Chazelle has said in post interviews saying like this is probably what's gonna happen is exactly what he said he will die he's probably gonna die of like an overdose but he will like but he will be well known and it's like that tragic tale Oh um, no! Yeah, totally. No, yeah, but we'll keep we'll keep the uh, the father on the back burner for the climax. That that'll be the last kind of discussion that we have. Um, speaking more towards the the foils, the the different sides of the same coin. I definitely wanted to talk about the um the the, the trumpet player that ended up. Uh, that that Fletcher lies saying he killed himself, or that he got in a car accident, but he ended up Can killing I ask you himself. Something? Yeah. About that. So when we first watched that, I specifically remember Dad was like, when that scene came up, he was like, I bet he killed. Like, because the scene is, oh, like, he died in a car accident. And Dad immediately said, I bet he killed himself. Did you have a, did you see that at all? Because I guess I'm not good at this in predicting it. No, dad, dad, our dad has a wit, has a really good He's got a weird sixth sense, sixth sense about this stuff, because that's not the first time that he's predicted things in movies before it's happy. But um, I specifically remember dad being like, I bet he killed himself. And in my mind, knowing the film, I was like, oh, come on. Like, can't you just, like, be quiet and just, like, let it happen? Because I was no, like, I had, I didn't have any idea of that he killed himself. I kind of was just going with the flow of the film. Um, but then after dad said it, I was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense that he bullied him so much. Like that, that is what Andrew will become. So, so what, so what did you want to mention about them? I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask well, you. Well, no, it, no, that it's that it's they, that, uh, his name is Sean Casey, that it's that, um, speaking more towards the climax that this is what Andrew will become. He will become the best and he will become strung out dead at 30 and everyone will talk about him than you know being uh, living a life of mediocrity yeah you know like that that is and then we go back to the did we go back to the dinner scene that is the thesis of the film that th this is this is what andrew will become this is why the ending of the film is not a climactic moment of triumph it is a moment of of, of sadness and depression that andrew is now a slave to everything that he wanted to achieve so I think what makes this ending so dynamic is like it's such a high note of like wow like he won like he he succeeded like everything that he sacrificed is worth it but then like you said in uh, last week well what are the what are the consequences of those actions in pursuing this and I think that's what which, makes the film which you know it would be I actually thought about this at the beginning of the review I would love to see Chazelle make a sequel to Whiplash. Of literally cutting off at at literally the moment the last drum beat is hit, the symbol crashes, and then we take off what happens to Andrew. You know? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a good movie? 
Yeah, because then it it kind of complete it, it would complete that story of like now it's but I think it's it would be more a tale of like well because then I I think what's great is like Chazelle. He leaves whether that's good or bad up to the interpretation of the audience. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because it ends on a high note, but then like you think about it, and I, I don't know if Chazelle, with his filmmaking or his music or both, is kind of feel relates to this. I don't know. I don't know the man, but I don't know if he necessarily wants to tell like because I think if he tells that story, yeah, I agree with you. It would be a fantastic film with with Chazelle at the at least the the screenwriting helm but i think it would have to it's it's his it's his child it's his creation well, I think duh. but yeah like, but like I, I think if he movie. made the film it would put a definite ending to whiplash so it would kind of like it which would, is it would kind honestly of, it would which kind is of, fine like putting the definite like the ambiguous ending is not what is not what makes whiplash a great movie i think it's it one of the things better that, i think it, it's it, one of the it, th- things that makes well, it I think an it, exceptional it, film I think though it, I think it elevates it, but the the ambiguous ending is not what makes Whiplash an amazing film. Uh, everything I else does. I disagree. Eh. No, I think I think everything else makes it a great film, and the ending, oh, I, like so, it's like you're boiling it down to like the the last ten minutes, which is a, a amazing film. Like, it's awesome. I I guarantee you that is that is that is a scene that will go down in history as like the. I don't know. I'm just trying. I can't even think. There are scenes like that, like the, the chestburster scene in Alien. Like it'll be equated to that in about 20 years. Like the the iconic scene of a film that's like that's how you know this film for. Um, and I'm just saying, like it, it elevates it, but it's not. It doesn't define the film, in my opinion. There are so many other elements. I mean, I go agree into with you. There are lots of other elements, but I, I I don't know. I disagree that I I really do think that this this ending is one of the reasons why the film is so exceptional in that it complements uh, so everything I, so well. Well, well, and that's the thing. It's like, it, it's, it's the, you can't judge part of the story. It is part, you have to judge the story by its whole. And so, yeah, of course. But I think the original thing that we're getting at is like, is there room for a sequel? And I, I think it wouldn't negate the ending of Whiplash. I think it would make it even, I, it wouldn't make it better, but I think it would just enhance you know the canon of jamie and chazelle if he if 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 he could pull it off you know and it will it will probably most likely never get the the conclusion of this film but all i'm saying is it would be a pretty good movie oh, if yeah. chazelle did it I, like I do that too, but you know I, I don't know i i will agree to disagree which is fine <laughs> yeah but, that's fine so let's get into the this theme of you know obsession and the sacrifice for obsession and at the cost of once humanity and is it worth it i think that's ultimate that's what i gather as like one of the themes of this movie yeah so let, let's get into it so tell me tell me your thoughts on that brian so again like we mentioned with uh guy madeline i th- i think chazelle took a step back and was like how did this movie not work and then we get back into it and then he just kind of takes all the bad elements of that film and puts and puts the good and and reworks them puts them in the andrew and totally reworks it to make it totally plausible you sympathize with andrew you want to see him succeed and then we see him succeed and we're like oh my god this isn't good this isn't what this isn't what we want for him you know 
and and you're conflicted because it's like this is this is because he succeeds he's the best drummer out there he's the new you know charlie parker but he's not he's a slave to the music to the to the obsession you know um so yeah wait what was the original question again no i was kind of tell me your thoughts on it and no i agree like and that that theme and especially like i was been watching i i i'd watched a video where they dissect obsession in film and the two films that they focus on i think it was i don't think it was every frame of painting it was something like a youtube channel like that and they were focusing on black swan and whiplash and how oh, yeah. it devolves into this like it, it's it's it starts as just this this like this light of just like this small idea of I want to be great and then and everyone has that idea at some point in their life like I want to be the greatest at this I want to be the greatest at that but most people it stops there like they don't have the ambition they don't have the drive they don't have the meat like whatever excuse they have in these two films beat in different ways are exploring the consequences of, of, of obsession towards a passion and and like you know lo- uh, Andrew losing his humanity and 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 what they actually brought up was it was an interesting point that in Black Swan she just is like goes a hundred percent the hundred ten percent all the way in like never there's never a moment when they when that character of Natalie Portman is like I'm like, oh right, this is like this is really bad. It's costing my costing me my humanity because of Whiplash. There is there is a segment where that happens, where Neiman yeah. or Andrew comes out and kind of reflects. He he even like pu- he puts his drum set in the closet, like literally the skeletons in the closet. Try to forget about it, and he's not even like when he's like cast away from the um from the conservatory he's not you know he's not doing what guy's doing from guy and madeline he's not going to clubs and playing gigs that he knows he's better than he's not you know trying to teach people he's like doing nothing musically he's like a a, he's a deli boy he's making sandwiches he's like he's a cashier and and i think he recognized like this cost me my humanity and he and he retracts but then he's pulled back in by Fletcher, but through the but he walks in to the jazz, and then he's put right back in the scene. But there's that segment where he he peaks. Well, he doesn't peak. He gets pretty high up, and then the third act starts, and he's and he like kind of comes down that dissension of just like okay, reflection. This was bad, but then at the at our climax, he takes the sticks again and he returns because he because I guess he realizes it's worth it, and. Yeah, and I yeah I agree with you. I think having that that sequel to Whiplash of him like actually coming to terms or like sitting down and realizing like oh my God look at what this has done to me and he has to suppress that with drugs and booze and depressants so and it ends up killing him. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of where I was getting up the theme. I mean, do you have anything more to add to the theme of? obsession and the cost and, and the cost of you know obsession and the greatness i mean i mean anything other like i guess like the girlfriend everything that is tied in with um who's actually that actress i forget her name but she is actually the uh she's supergirl or whatever superwoman or whatever in the cw series like the dc tie-in as a little aside but other than that like i can't really think of anything else you know 
Okay. I mean, I think it's one of the most, it's obviously one of the most, it's the strongest part of the story. And one, one of the reasons why I keep coming back to it, outside of the cinematography, outside of the music, outside of the acting, like this, the theme of this film is super strong. And this is something that I think we've seen and that I'm curious to see if this comes back in First Man, this this idea of maybe not so much sacrifice, but like, you know, doing something extraordinary, something that's bigger than yourself, but at like what cost, you know? Oh, I think it totally will, you know? It's a dude literally going to the moon. Well, so. I know, but it's, it's Neil Armstrong. Like, he's one of the most humble people ever. Like, especially knowing the history of Neil Armstrong. Like, when he came back and he, you know, applied to be a professor at universities, he was afraid that he wasn't qualified enough to be, like, the physics professors. And he went to the fucking moon. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, the side thing. But I'm really interested to see what this theme... Because this theme definitely comes back in La La, in La La Land. So, so far we have the three films that have been released... Um focusing on this idea all albeit very differently but how they tackle sacrifice and greatness and more more about sacrifice of like what you want to do so or in pursuit of your dreams or your goals so i'm very curious to see how that comes back but i think it's a very prominent theme that is is reoccurring in his work yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and that's and I'm excited about that because usually you see trends in like a filmmaker where it's like, for example, you see like Paul Thomas Anderson where it's like Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia is like a is like a, a theme, and then you get Punch Drunk Love that's that's its own little section, and you get like uh, There Will Be Blood in the Master is its own little phase. Same with Tarantino where it's like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown there, and then you get um, Kill Bill Volume One and Two there, and you get uh, like Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight there. You know, it, 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 we're we're definitely entering into a new phase of Damien Chazelle with First Man, and I'm very curious to see where we go from there. Yeah, like I like we talked about this when the trailers came out. Like, I'm really excited because. I think it's good that he's getting away from the music because his last three films in the last 10 years, pretty much, or I guess at the time of La La Land's release, um, like eight years, we're about, we're about music and like we've been talking about the sacrifice. And I think it's good that we're getting away from that just for the evolution of him as a filmmaker. But more on that when we get there. But Brian, let's have some closing thoughts about uh, Whiplash and recommendations. I guess I'll go first since you went first last time. Yeah, I just absolutely love this film. I think it's very apparent that this film, I I, I absolutely love it. it. There's a reason it's it's uh, my second favorite film of all time, and it's not going to change, at least anytime soon. And if and if there does indeed a film comes around that knocks us out, it has to be uh, like a perfect film. And yeah, I love almost every aspect of this film. There's a reason I've seen it almost if not like more than 50 times i i am confident that i've seen it more than 50 times and it's the combination of the acting the direction the music the cinematography the themes everything i absolutely love this so i can't recommend this film enough and like i said in the beginning i i literally showed my hand right away i'm going to give whiplash a 9.5 out of 10 it's near perfect 
I can't recommend this film enough. You ha- everyone. This is definitely like a film that everyone has to see before they die. This is utterly amazing, and why I it's a perfect example of why I love film and why I love movies. I I love this film. Yeah, so I, I I'm more inclined to agree with you on this one. Um, definitely. I'm going to start off the gates with like an 8.5 or a 9 out of 10. This film is so it, it just it's it, it it's so well made. The thesis is so concise. The cinematography is amazing. If you're a music lover, you have to watch this film. Um no, it's just it, all around it's awesome. A lot of one a lot of great dinger one-liners that are awesome. J.K. Simmons is, is an outstanding performance. There's not a single weak performance in this film. Even, like, Paul Reiser it does great in it. Um, no, like, it's definitely a a very great second effort. Uh, I'm glad to see it's not a sophomore slump by D- Damien Chazelle, as we'll see in his next film with La La Land. It's just we can only keep going up from here, so... Uh, yeah, no, no, like I said, I, I reiterate 8.5 or 9 out of 10. Alright, perfect. So, guys, that concludes this episode of Amateur Auteurs. Uh, like, once again, you can find us on Twitter at AuteursPod. That's where we mostly do our updates and things like that. I think it's the best form of communications. Or you can email us uh, at our, our personal email, which is listed in our Twitter and the show's description at the end of the show. Also, check our YouTube channel out where we just, you know, have our short films. Not a lot of activity, but, you know, it's there. Something to look out and check out. But, yeah, thank you again for listening, supporting the show. Please feel free to reach out. We would love to answer any questions or comments, maybe even recommend a film for us to watch. But until then, guys, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Amateur All Tours. Cover design was created by Sarah Jacobs. You can find more of her work at her own website, Digital Adventures. The opening theme, Dreams, is composed by Joachim Karid. This composition was found using a Creative Commons search. As a small plug, go check out both Sarah and Joachim's work. They are really great and deserve the attention. If you want to drop us a line, which we full-heartedly support, please feel free to contact us at our email, theamateurautorspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is one word. You can also find us at Twitter at amateurautorspod. Once again, thank you for supporting the show. Stay tuned for more episodes, and thank you once again. Thank you.